Welcome to None Dare Call It Ordinary, the podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the neutral Brent. That's right. I'm right in the middle. Just neutral. Right in the middle. You're... You're the canola oil yeah. of podcasts, right? You know, not too strong, but not gross either. Yep, just just you know, barely noticeable. Mass produced, <laughs> barely noticeable. Wow. No, no, no. That's no. All right. All right. Jokes. Brent, you're you're more like the flaxseed oil of podcast hosts. You're very fancy, very Full expensive. Got to put you in the refrigerator. Good. Yeah, exactly. Besides Brent being the flaxseed oil of podcast hosts. <laughs> Uh, on a totally different tangent, I wanted to shout out 27th Letter Books. They're a great bookstore here in wonderful Detroit, Michigan. Kelsey and I have been there many times. Uh, Kelsey is actually working with them for some events for her new book that's coming out in March. And one of the proprietors, Aaron, is a new listener and she's been enjoying the podcast. And so I wanted to shout them out because even if you're not in Detroit, you could still order books from them. If you go to their website, 27thletterbooks.com, the two and the seven are numerals, the number two, the number seven letterbooks.com, just to be clear. And hey, if you got a book you're looking for, you can not only support a great local bookstore, but you also are guaranteed the 27th letter book guarantee is that none of their employees have to piss in a bottle when they're on the clock. That's they nice. get to go to a restroom. That's good. That's a perk. Yeah, yeah, that is a perk. Big perk. All right. So what what are we talking about today, Dylan? Well, today is our concluding episode in our series on James W. Lee's book, The One World Tartarians, The Greatest Civilization Ever to Be Erased from History. We should mention here, we've been going back and forth on how to kind of construct how to divide up the main episodes from the bonus episodes. And we got a great idea uh, from one of our patrons, Chris, on the Discord, where the way it's going to work is that each episode is going to have an A side and a B side. The A side is available for all free on wherever your podcasts are served. And the B side is only for patrons. So if you want to listen to the entire thing, you got to become a $5 a month patron over at patreon.com. So right now, uh, this is the the A side Mm -hmm. uh, for the final episode on Tartaria. And we're going to start hot by talking about the flat earth. Yes, because as Brent has already mentioned, Lee cut his teeth on flat eartherism, Mm -hmm. uh, if you would like to call it. And of course, he's got to integrate that into this book as well. And this happens in chapter five, where the main focus is is a 1587 map of the earth by Urbano Monti. The map consists of 60 sheets of manuscript paper that were meant to be assembled into one giant image. Sadly, this didn't seem to have happened in his lifetime. It was simply just put into an atlas, put into a book. But recently, the entire map was digitally assembled. So they scanned in all the images, all 60 sheets of it, and they put it together Uh, online and the map is neat as shit it's 10 square feet large we'll put a link to it in the show notes i mean it's no nunder called ordinary tapestry but it's close i mean if you're that's true yeah yeah. uh, definitely uh, if you know and by the way if you would like we can definitely sell you that tapestry in book form we'll just cut it into 60 (laughs) pieces and sell it to you in a book if that would be preferred so of course 
For Lee, this isn't just a beautiful depiction of Earth, but a completely accurate portrayal of the flat Earth. Also, um, I, there's a really cool video of this map transposed onto Google Earth, and we'll, we'll post the link in Discord so everyone can check it out. It's really cool. It, like spins around. So one conclusion Lee draws from this map is how the Tartarians managed to settle in North America. Quote, Notice on these maps, there's a clear Northwest Passage ocean route right to both American coasts. If there were an easy marine route just 500 years ago, doesn't that make the premise that the Bering Strait land bridge as the only way to the Americas sound less plausible? Especially when you find out the Tartars were outgoing travelers by nature and possibly inherited some old world empire technology that employed atmospheric etheric energy, AEE, that would enable them to set up house wherever they landed. The map also depicts a variety of fun creatures, including griffins, flying turtles, unicorns, and centaurs. A centaur, in case you don't know, half man, half horse. But Lee says the centaurs are, quote, half human, half man, which is a delightful <laughs> typo. I assume human, he meant to write horse, but he didn't. Yeah, I prefer my centaurs to be half stallion, half horse. That's just oh, my own, yes. you know, preference. I like my centaurs to be all horse, basically. Uh, I, I see. So, yeah, I like a centaur that's half human, half man on top and oh. then half stallion, half horse in the back. <laughs> I think that's how we can we could put all these halves together. About all these depictions, Lee makes the bold and true conditional claim, quote, if this map is an accurate depiction of flat Earth in 1587, that means that these creatures were not mythical at all, but really existed mm -hmm. and you know again i got to agree yeah. i think that is true if this map is accurate then yes there were unicorns uh, i mean that definitely does follow but for reasons unknown lee not only thinks the map is accurate but also that the tartarians possessed advanced cloning technology he kind of just fits that in there i guess he thinks the tartarians were cloning these flying turtles and so forth yeah i mean unfortunately they're all clones were flat like oh, the earth so it's that's a I mean, very two-dimensional that, that is a good point i imagine i want to see the flat earther who says not only <laughs> is the earth flat but unicorns were also <laughs> flat no one ever goes that far yeah but sadly, you know, he's got plenty of books on the flat earth, so we have to move on. This seems like it would be an important part of this whole story, but it really kind of goes pretty quick because now we got to talk about star forts. Yes. And this is something uh, Brent has also been talking about, something, you know, Lee has peppered in to a bunch of chapters we've looked at recently. But now we're going to focus on these star forts. First, let's get the normie history out of the way. Star forts or bastion forts were built around the 15th to 16th century, and as the name implies, are pointy. Uh, most actually look like snowflakes. Let's just say it's like the original home of liberals. So snowflakes. Yeah, it was the original uh, safe space. Yeah, safe and that's space. why that's they yeah, made that's them look like. That's why they make them look like snowflakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so they, there's like a central core. Uh, it's very hard to describe auditorily. So yeah. we'll definitely include some pictures if you just bother us on Discord. You're never bothering us on Discord. If you talk to us on Discord, we'll show you a picture. Um, or you could just Google Starfort. But it's like a, a square or a hexagonal core of walls. And then each of the points kind of extrudes out into like another pointy mm -hmm. bit. It's like an extra point. Again, like a snowflake. This design allowed them to make maximum use of new military hardware, the cannon. So, for example, imagine if you had a circular fort and all the cannons pointed outward. Well, as soon as the enemy got in close range of your walls, 
the cannons were useless because they only pointed outward. There was no way for those cannons to strike anywhere nearby your fort. The star fort solves this problem with those pointy bits that are exuding from the main defensive structure. This allows for cannons to be placed, which can be pointed right at the walls of the fort itself to fight off intruders who have already gotten far too close. Okay, so that's all boring. You know, that's the boring stuff. Lee has a far more interesting theory about these structures. Quote, the Tartarians created star forts and star cities as a vibrational frequency ecosystem to provide a sense of joy and harmony amongst the community. The star cities are their own self-contained environment. Star forts are structures that are built with sacred geometric patterns that represents the cosmos metaphysically or symbolically a microcosm of the universe. Lee's theory also explains why so many of these star forts were built near water. Sure, you might point out that waterways are crucial places to guard during warfare, but that's just silly. Really, it's all about magnets. Quote, all these features were part of the infrastructure that leveraged water to produce a magnetic frequency that was absorbed by the design of the structure and omitted itself back into the environment as breathable air. The frequency and vibration created the energy euphoria of joy and harmony. And to be very clear, it's that the joy and harmony, the joy is uncapitalized, but harmony is capitalized. <laughs> yeah, it's more important. I assume it's just a typo, but who knows? He might be trying to tell us something important here. Okay, so I want to get this straight. So the infrastructure leveraged water to make a magnetic frequency that was absorbed by the same infrastructure, then emitted this magnetic frequency into the air as air that made people happy? Yes. So basically turn water into happy air. Yes. I, guess. I just want to make sure I get Okay. That's exactly what happened. Water, it absorbs the frequency of the water, spits out happy gas. Okay, uh, so I imagine, <laughs> you know, maybe it's the, the knockout gas you get at the, at the dentist, at the dentist. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That might be exactly what it is. But I know our audience, a discern, a discerning bunch. They mm-hmm. want even more proof. So if you want more proof, just look at what happened when Dr. Masura Emoto, not Mr. Moto, as Lee decides to call him. <laughs> he is a doctor, Dr. Masura Emoto. He played happy music to freezing water. The crystals formed looked a whole lot like star forts. Well, and and so Lee presents uh, five pictures of these happy crystals. And, uh, you know, one of them kind of looks like a star fort out Mm. of the five. But hey, you know, no need to nitpick. One is (laughs) good. That's fine. Also, this this also works. People don't know this, but this also works, too. If you play sad music to boiling water, you get the same exact results. Oh, you got to do it. Interesting, because I know Dr. Emoto, this might be something we might have talked about this briefly on our crystals series, Um, but he was famous because he played the happy music and then he played the sad music to the freezing water, which gave you the ugly crystals, according to him. And so maybe that was his mistake in his protocol. You got to play the sad music to the boiling water. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So the star forts are sucking up the water's vibrations and spitting out air that makes you happy. But what about all this stuff about star forts being built to make maximum use of cannons? Lee dismisses it as a bunch of balderdash quote that star forts were built for protection against invading armies are absurd on its premise. The shape was not ideally defensible since invaders could position themselves next to cornered walls and not be seen by those inside. The design was not conducive for protection from those inside. 
And to understand what's wrong with this, I put a link into a YouTube video from Sebastian Vanderbrink. Really good video that explains kind of how Starforts work. And the video really demonstrates just how this is perfectly and exactly incorrect. I don't know what Lee is talking about here, but I would definitely check out that video in the show notes to understand how Lee is totally wrong, as you can imagine. And since we're always telling you to do your hashtag research, I recommend going to starforts.com to decide how many of these structures look like happy ice crystals. Really cool website. Has nothing to do with all this gibberish. It's just people who really are into starforts. There's a bunch of pictures of them. And to be clear, that is starforts.com with an S, not starfort.com, which Lee put into his stupid book. <laughs> Wait, I'm getting, I think you may have a bias against this book, Dylan. You know, when I, I know. when I, I go to starfort.com and see that it's defunct, yeah. and then I go to the Wayback machine and look and keep trying to find oh. the exact iteration that okay. Lee was talking about. Yep. And then I learn that, oh, he's just a moron who doesn't know how to, how to, <laughs> to edit type. his manuscript. Yeah, that does create a bit of a bias. Yeah. Okay. You got a good point. That makes sense. <sighs> so, you know, but you're right though. What I really need, Brent, I need some, I need some healing. Yeah. And I think uh, you can let me know how the Tartarians might have been able to deal with that healing. If only you could attend one of their healing centers, because in the table of contents, uh, chapter seven is titled Healing Centers. Beautiful. Unfortunately, this is a shame for anyone that was skimming the table of contents, seeing if they would, you know, for some weird reason, want to read this book. Um, Because the actual title of chapter seven, once you get to page 97, is called Love. And healing centers. So, yeah, a little bit more than just the healing center in this one. Yeah, this is what happens when you just he wrote this and read it in one go. He's never (laughs) relooked at any of this. So, you know, it's just what's going to happen. First draft, best draft. For just a peek at what we're dealing with here in this chapter, there's a small blue box in the right corner with notes on a scale with these words, quote, with the right frequency or sound, one can heal people, grow bigger food levitate objects, turn lead into gold and much, much more amazing stuff. Wow. You know, I'd like to think I have a good imagination, but I'm actually I'm trying. I'm having difficulty trying to imagine something much, much more amazing than healing people and performing alchemy with a synthesizer. (laughs) That seems that's at the height of amazement for me. I can't go much, much more than that. No. So this section is titled. Tiergarten, Germany, Animal Healing Center for the World. Here we learn that the Berlin Zoo, located at the Tiergarten Park in Berlin, Germany, quote, gathers the most expressive collection of animal and vegetable species from around the world. This uh, most expressive zoo is located, quote, opposite the Reichstag Dome and has in its center the Victory Column in granite studded with bronze ornaments. And by the way, Lee points out that, quote, large domes, towers and columns are always associated with ether energy production. Always. Just know that. Always associated. And here's proof of this. Uh, The Renaissance Center, which is the tallest building in Michigan, and it's here in Detroit. It's the home of GM. Yeah. It's one of the ugliest buildings I've ever seen, but it is made of a bunch of towers. There's a bunch of columns in there. And so, you know, they're using it to generate ether energy for the new electric cars. Oh, yeah. uh, They've been pumping out. That makes sense. And until now, you know, we thought EV stood for electric vehicle, but it's really ether vehicle, I think. Ether uh, vehicle. That's not just a joke about fear and loathing in Las Vegas. This (laughs) is real technology. 
Lee suggests that Tartaria use Tiergarten as a sort of Noah's Ark, saying, quote, almost extinct species in a world that came out of, quote, sudden chaos and climate change. I gotta say, so. for a civilization and an empire that had all this advanced technology and that spanned basically the entire globe or excuse me, the entire yeah. what plane plane. I, I don't know plane. How, yep. how the flat earthers talk about it. The entire plane of Earth. I wouldn't put all my eggs in one basket. Right. I wouldn't be like, I'm just going to have one place and that's where all the animals are going to go. You needed an ark because there was going to be a flood. Oh, just an FYI, guys, quote, the building surrounded by eight minarets that Natasha saw in the tear garden and to which she ascribes the secret of such happiness continues to secretly store atmospheric energy produced by victory column associated with the Reichstag dome. And I, I mean, I personally feel like if, you, if you're getting your energy atmospherically, you most definitely want to keep that secret. So that, that oh, makes 100%, sense, you because, know. you know, they're doing something nefarious. They're hoarding that atmosphere energy to do something dumb like mine Dogecoin or something. Yeah, it's not productive what they're doing. Right. And what happens today in the Central Park of Berlin, which is, I guess, people just walking around looking at plants, and animals, I guess, for the benefit of humans and animals was carried out in the past throughout the world from the beginning of our real history. Ooh, capital R, capital H. So we've all been you know, held captive to those NWO automated tour guides going through museums or zoos. You know, you listen to him in the headphones. But Lee is the ultimate tour guide here. So let's listen. Quote, the Carlin history dates back to the first kings of Prussia, Frederick I and II of the Hohenzollern dynasty. Wikipedia claims that the German zoo was opened in 1844, but on this date, Germany did not exist and much less had central government. There was only one confederation with 22 small monarchies and 17 other states that spoke German. The Tiergarten Park and its palace belonged to the Tartary civilization. With the defeat of Tartary and the creation of Germany, the palace was demolished and the Reichstag was erected by the will of the character Bismarck. Bismarck in quotes. In quotes. Uh, by the way, I, uh, I don't think a fictional character could have built the Reichstag. Uh, that seems I'm yeah. kind of curious how it, that's supposed to work. It was work. actually built by the will of a fictional character. Mm. So that's even more. That confusing. might be the secret. Maybe <laughs> that, uh, you know, I, we're learning things about fictional characters every day. Oh, yeah. So then we get a quote from Janie Benson describing what her experience was like while visiting the zoo. Quote, but then I saw minarets of a mosque and I imagined that this was what uh, you were talking about. Is it atmospheric energy? It is in that building that giraffes currently live. If it generated energy, I had no way of knowing, but I am a witness of the extraordinary happiness that was there. There is something in Berlin that is wonderful, and I want to go back there. I want to breathe that air again. So, so the way that starts out, it felt like I was reading the book of Revelations, and then there were seven bowls poured <laughs> onto the land. Like, oh. Yeah, this is if the book of Revelation was written after the prophet, the uh, the birth of the prophet Muhammad, it would have been, yeah, the mosque of, of Satan instead of the synagogue <laughs> right. of Satan, almost almost surely. Uh, my favorite part of this quote is when she said she has no way of knowing if they were storing energy like Lee thinks. <laughs> yeah. Is it? I had no way, you know, if it generated energy, I had no way of knowing. Like, eh, I might have cut that part, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the same building where the giraffes currently live. So just for anyone wants to go visit. A lot of giraffe energy. Yeah. So I can believe yeah. it. Yeah. They're giants, you know, after all. They are giants. Get those giraffes on treadmills. Yes. We'll solve this whole energy crisis right away. 
Also, who the hell is Janie Benson, you might be asking? Lee tells us she, quote, may be associated with the legendary paradise of the Atlanteans, Titans, and their descendants of the lost Tartar-Aryan Tartary civilization. So I hope that clears things up for everybody. It really doesn't, because if she's associated with these folks, shouldn't she know that these things are storing energy like she doesn't even know? So pretty lame, pretty lame representative. It's, It's sad to see how far Tartaria has fallen. In the civilization of the past, magical properties of atmospheric energy and resonances of the electromagnetic field harmonized, healed, prolonged life, and increased the stature of men and animals. Man, so sometimes those dudes were like three miles tall. Yeah. And Lee reminds us that, quote, large domes, towers, and columns are always associated with the production of atmospheric energy. When Love I get that, that repeat. Yeah. Got to get that repeat in there. <laughs> so also, guys, keep that in mind next time you visit a professional sports stadium. I know all you guys are sports fans that listen to us. Um, those brand new gazillion dollar stadiums, um, they're ancient Tartarian power centers. You know, it's so. you say this, but, you know, in a couple hundred years, people are going to be arguing that the Raider Stadium <laughs> in Vegas is actually some kind of power plant for giant aliens. Oh, it's totally. going to be part of the mix. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I have never been to Germany. I'd love to go, um, but we are probably all aware that Germany is just so damn happy all the time. Everybody oh, there yeah. happy. Lee explains why, quote, the top of the coil inside the Reichstag dome and it is protected by mirrors. Just direct quoting here. And the tip of the coil is in the hall below the mirrored part. It seems to have been made with the purest copper and its shape copies the top of the old power plants of the east. This may explain the happiness that reigns in the park and in the whole city. As all students of history know, no one has ever been sad in Berlin at any point. In the 20th century, it's been 1900 to 2000, just happy, happy, happy all day long. But we can't generalize because I have been to Germany. I lived in Germany for a few years as a young wee lad, and I was not always happy in the whole of Germany uh, because one time my dad scared me because they had giant nutcrackers, like six foot tall nutcrackers. And he told me he's like, hey, bub, turn around. And I turned around. And he made a talk and he's like, oh, my God, some scary voice. I was terrified. Oh, my God. That is probably my that is my primary memory of Germany. A very unhappy you memory. You should have ran straight to the Berlin Zoo. Right I should that. have. I, if, if I would. If only I knew then what I knew now yep. about the happiness factory that is Berlin. So Berlin actually was an old Tartarian gigantic star fort at one time. Lisa. Ah, that's so. why that's why they're happy. Yeah. Quote, with its walls and high technology, Berlin was part of the world energy grid and the old magic may still be present in the air. It's not just a voyeur to a fellow sentient being that is enjoyable at the zoo. Lee writes that, quote, visitors and animals are also given the benefit of the magic sound of bells. In the park, there is a rare carillon installed at 42 meters high, which houses 68 bells of 48 tons and is the fourth in the world in number of bells. The vibration of bronze associated with the ethereal electromagnetic current has a high harmonizing and healing power. And speaking of bells, don't forget to smash that subscribe button and under called ordinary YouTube page and click on the bell to receive notifications. <laughs> oh, yeah. And if 68 of you click on that bell to go with the 68 bells in the Berlin Zoo, we guarantee you'll be happy as a German. All right. So Lee continues with the bell fetish here. He has going on here. Quote. 
Carolyn Tower bells are comprised of 68 bells weighing a total of 48 metric tons, almost 106,000 pounds, connected to a keyboard spanning five and a half fully chromatic octaves. The largest bell weighs 7.8 tons, almost 17,200 pounds. So there will be a test. After there will be a test, absolutely. But Lee throws out all of these numbers to argue that there's no way regular ass people made this stuff. That's the basic argument is like, yeah, couldn't do that. No way. Uh, and so that's why he cares about all this bell trivia. So then finally, we get to the usual part of any chapter in this book where Lee just repeats himself. Um, the entire part about Wikipedia saying when the zoo was established, but Germany didn't exist. So that that that's repeated again. Just, you know, paragraphs of the exact same text, basically, literally the exact same text. Um, next up, we learn about somatic gardens to heal the soul. Lee explains firstly what he means by somatic. Quote, the term somatics was coined by Hans Jenny in the 1970s as a way of describing how to visualize sound. Uh, and by the way, remember that uh, intellectuals did not discover or invent anything right. from 1800 to 1999. So oh, I'm actually a little skeptical of this that's claim. That's problem here. Yep. Uh, being in the 1970s. But if you go to YouTube, the images... The cymatics are pretty neat. Yeah. So one example, this is, I think, one of the things that Hans Jenny himself did is you get an electrified metal plate and you put a bunch of like sand on it. And then he used a violin bow along the edge mm -hmm. and the sand moves and forms distinct patterns uh, and they kind of look like snowflakes, you know. So, oh, there's this interesting thing. Like, why does this happen? Of course. The weirdos got a hold of it and said, yep. oh, this is because of the magnetic vibrations that are going to make you as happy as a Berliner. Yep, exactly. Quote, would certain high or low frequencies help plants and medicinal herbs grow? Are castles really the hospitals of the star civilization? Mind, body, soul? That's just one sentence. One question. I think the gardens were not for elites. They were for the public originally. Hexagons, octagons, pentagons, polygons, rectangles, triangles, a whole lot of sacred geometry going on, folks. All these shapes, it's got to be sacred <laughs> geometry. <laughs> you guys, you need to remember hexagons, octagons, pentagons, and soanagons are just plain boring geometry when drawn on paper or a computer. These geometric shapes only become sacred when they are in gardens or crops. That's uh, a key element. Or forts, as we learned, or forts. Yeah. Those are the three yeah. things. Uh, one thing that really saddens me here, though, like, you know, I I totally kind of passed over the Sawanagons. I was focused on this elite <laughs> class. Like, yes. I thought I thought this was a communistic society. I, I'm, I'm a little upset. I'm a little upset that they still have elites. It's just sad how Lee just undoes his arguments slowly but surely throughout the book, just like piece by piece. Like, oh, wait, what? And believe it or not, we're going to see even more of that oh, yeah. as this episode progresses, especially near the end. So we get lots of images of sacred geometry and gardens in the next page, obviously. In the final portion of the chapter, Lee explains the healing resonance of churches using somatics in sacred spaces. So our author reiterates that, quote, choirs, pipe organs, and the architecture itself may have literally been healing church attendees for centuries. The subtle energy of spaces is not limited to churches either. Every natural and man-made structure emits its own subtle energetic frequency that we are inadvertently influenced by 
So, okay, basically anything has its own energy frequency, or in other words, I've said nothing. Yeah, I am not too sure. One thing I do know that this isn't this isn't just limited to churches, because if you go down to the Senate theater mm. where they have installed a pipe organ from the uh, kind of early 20th century, uh. Uh, and I'm definitely getting those. Yeah. energetic frequencies so the, uh, when they're playing that big old pipe organ. Yeah, so that's a cinema run on ether then. Yes. Ether power. Yes. Nice. And that's not just a euphemism. Someone named Miss Tanya Harris conducted an experiment at different churches throughout Europe. She recorded the silence of each church for several minutes. She played back the recordings highly amplified so she was able to attain some sort of sound according to Lee. She then, quote, created her own somatic device and played the sound through light and water to observe the patterns created by the frequency of each church. The results were nothing less than astonishing. The patterns produced resembled the classic stained glass rose windows typically found in cathedrals. The resonant frequency of one church even displayed a five-pointed star that was in proportion with the golden ratio. So, basically... She recorded a Tool album. Got it. So Lee goes on to talk about Professor Sendrachil G of Rutgers University who conducted an experiment of the effects of classical music on red blood cells. Lee says the experiment showed our red blood cells like classical music opposed to silence. I would have liked to see the result with classical compared to metal music, personally. I would, I would assume metal music would cook the red blood cells like it cooks an egg. Probably. Yeah, as we learned uh, from Hell's as Bells. we learned from Hell's Bells. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Lee takes the result of this experiment a step further, saying, quote, because our bodies are made of liquid, the beautiful patterns made through the resonance of music and sound create healing patterns within us. Nothing sounds better for my health. Then my bodily fluids turning into an assortment of hexagons and <laughs> pentagons. That sounds great. That sounds painful. For my actually. veins. Yeah. Uh, yeah Oof, actually, yeah. It ouch. sounds like it would totally eviscerate <laughs> my viscera. That's talking about DNA damaging. Jeez. Having gone way too far in the last sentence, Lee decides to go even further, saying, quote, sound creates wave-like patterns around us. We see that in crop circles, stone circles in South Africa, in nature and in art, all the way back to the Egyptians. So that that's how I got this. You know, I, if you guys have seen pictures of me at all, my arms, I don't know. I guess I'm not posing a lot of pictures of my arms on Discord. I'll get on that. But um, I have a crop circle on my arm. I got a years and years ago. Um, and I got that because I went to a tool concert and it just appeared oh. due to the sounds. So, yeah, it's actually a really affordable way to get tattoos. You had to pay a tip for a ticket. But man, that you know, I've been to concerts. I've been going to concert for years. All I got was hearing loss. Yeah. Inside your ears, though, you may have some tattoos. You might want to look. So since we've gone full tool talk here, I mean, why not? Um, next, randomly, we get a quote from comedian Bill Hicks. <laughs> <laughs> why? I'm not sure. Quote, today, a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration, that we all are one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There is no such thing as death. Life is only a dream. And we're the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. This is uh, this is the worst part of the book. Yeah, it is. Uh, I love Bill Hicks. Yeah, I do too. Um, Leave him alone. Yeah, just let's not. I'm going to say let's not bring him into this, Lee. So Lee ends this chapter with this quote. Once upon a time when the temples of free energy architecture were used to rise man, the organs were used as a harmony bomb. Hashtag harmony bomb. The songs were tuned and played at sacred healing tone of 528 megahertz. 
It was not allowed to change the frequency of the Earth using, for example, 440 megahertz, which divided by 12 equals 36.666. Oh, God. The, yeah, the frequency, dis, this frequency disharmonizes humanity, leaving beings agitated, angry, and sick. And that was not allowed. So at the correct frequency, there were regenerating concert halls where people recharged themselves with pleasant music while buildings collected the energy of the ether. So chapter eight is called The Magnificent Worldwide Tartarian Architecture. It's unfortunately only accessible with your eyes because this entire chapter is nothing but pictures of cool buildings. So that's unfortunate for you guys listening here. Yeah. Um, Lee does manage to squeeze in one little sarcastic jab in the subtitle to this chapter to all us history normies um, that all these magnificent buildings were, quote, said to have been all built in the 13th century with horse and buggy. So how could <laughs> That's it a been? very common. He thinks it's either the great civilization of Tartaria with all their ether weapons and all their amazing super duper tech or horse and buggy. Right. Those are no the only ground. those. Are, yeah, there's no middle ground for him. <laughs> and we're going to see that again and in even more racist ways. Because the the chapter I covered on impossible engineering does have a few more words than yours, but kind of a similar, uh, I think, a similar point they're trying to make that various architectural feats of the 19th century could not have been built the way Norman historians want you to believe they were built. For all the examples we'll discuss, and there's many more in the chapter, the argument is really the same. There ain't no way they could have built that. It's just Obama. You didn't build that. That like literally that's every every single example is just Obama. Just Obama pops out and says that. Or actually, you know, let me guess like for proof Lee gives us memes, pages of pictures of buildings with no captions or an image of Joe Montana. In this one of case, work. in this case it's the second. It's just mm-hmm. buildings like look at that. That's the art. Look at it. And you're like, "Where's this set from?" And you're like, "I'd have no idea because he didn't tell me." Exactly. One example discussed is the Erie Canal, which was built between 1817 and 1825. One reason Lee is incredulous about the time frame is the fact that the majority of the workforce was Irish immigrants. So that's good. Another is the Great Loop, a 6,000 mile waterway that goes up the Mississippi through the Great Lakes to the Atlantic Ocean and then down the coast and along the Gulf of Mexico back to the Mississippi. The first reported circumnavigation of the Great Loop was in 1890. So Lee has to ask the question, quote, 6,000 miles dredged with this equipment and labor, question mark, question mark, question mark. (laughs) Hey, come on now. He's just asking questions. And you know what? That's good enough. That's a good enough answer for me to make me believe all this. And he he managed to ask three questions with the three Mm. question marks in just one line of text. Wow. That's pretty now that would truly be amazing. 1890, uh, the 19th century, 6,000 miles. Uh, that's a pretty incredible feat. Um, until you reread the paragraph oh. that mentions the Great Loop, and Lee mentions that it was partly composed of natural waterways and thus oh. wouldn't require the entire 6,000 miles to be dredged, according to Lee himself, you know. Minor waterways like the entire Mississippi River. Oh, dear God. So the Euphrates River. Jesus. Yeah, the Euphrates River. He can't even keep his shit straight. But don't worry. It isn't just Americans who get the credit for building things they're too dumb to manage. Lee is equally unimpressed by Chinese engineering, especially the Great Wall of China. For one thing, 
Lee points out that there are no maps, including the Great Wall, before the 16th century. Why would that be the case if it was really built between the 7th and 2nd centuries BC? And the answer is that the premise is false. Oh. We'll include a link to a map from the 12th century that I found in 30 seconds of Googling. <laughs> and so I imagine if you spent a couple minutes, even maybe you would find a few more. Lee also doubts the Chinese constructed the Grand Canal of China because he personally doesn't understand how they could have done it. And if Lee can't understand something, the only explanation is that it is impossible. Yep. The same goes for ancient waterworks, quote, the story goes that the ancients carved out these water storage holding facilities using hand tools. Does this make sense to anyone with any common sense? More likely, they were water reservoirs for harvesting energy and storing power. Oh, much more likely. Much more likely. So you need to understand fully. The argument literally is, I don't get it. So it didn't happen that way. He's not even trying to poke holes in the official history. Because that's not why he believes what he believes. Yeah. He just, I don't get it, so it can't be real. My favorite example, though, concerns the underground tunnel system in Washington, D.C. While the paragraphs are plagiarized from a Bloomberg article, Lee adds this strange caveat, quote, This is from an alleged April Fool's Day spoof in the Washington Times, yet is likely more truth than fiction. I will admit, there is something refreshing about all this silliness. Anyone who has dabbled in ancient alien theories knows about their racist double standard. White people right. are fully capable of building amazing structures, but the blacks and browns of the world clearly needed extraterrestrial help. Lee is finally making the progressive choice to say people of all races are equally inept when it comes to building anything unless they're a giant who eats light or something. So this is kind of <laughs> nice. I kind of think this is a good addition. Uh, to the ancient aliens lore. And along with this, Lee includes a bunch of pictures of, quote, perfectly cut stones in Peru and Egypt, further confirming the similarity with the ancient alien crowd. You know, yeah. if you've watched any of those documentaries, important documentaries, you have seen these images of stones that are perfectly fused or perfect right angles, but that aren't. And with that, we are done with side A. Ooh. Of episode 96, the one world Tartarian cassette now part three. Yes. So uh, in a little bit, you'll be able to pause your cassette and flip it over. And the way you metaphorically do that is by heading over to patreon.com slash none dare call it ordinary to listen to the remainder of this episode. But we do have one more thing to do, and that is to shout out all of our patrons. So one thing that we have done, one of the Patreon perks is that you'll get a shout out and I haven't been the best at keeping track. And so I don't remember everyone I shouted out. So I decided, you know what? I'm just going to shout out everybody. Yeah. Why not you may get a double shout out? You who might cares? get a double shout out, yeah. but who cares? And also uh, for everybody who has included their last name, I have reduced it to a, a single letter uh, nice. just in case uh, nobody wants to be outed. If you want me to tell everyone your last name, by all means, <laughs> let me know. I will. I'm happy to do it. But I, this is just the way I decided to do it. And uh, again, thank you all so much. Yes, thank you, guys. Uh, we have a lot of inconsistencies in the schedule that you have been incredibly gracious about. And we're hoping to be able to kind of iron those out. So here are our current 25 patrons. Kimberly M. Shay. Alva the Cat. Ellen J, Griffin, Perry D, Chuck D, 
Corey S, Steve O, Rosalie H, Alec F, Jacob, Chris W, Brendan L, Simon P, Toby, Roger T, Sarah F, John S, Potter R, Ryan H, where Peter is, which is a great blog, by the way, about uh, mm. kind of Catholic news uh, issues. Uh, they, uh, I think we talked about earlier, they shouted us out because of our set of Akantism stuff. So yeah, that was really cool. If you Thanks. want, if you want to know what normal Catholics believe, not weirdo to <laughs> online Catholics, where Peter is, is a great place. Alt Catholicism. Uh, yeah, not alt Catholicism. Exactly. And lastly, we have Deadeye Nick, Rachel D and Amanda C. Thank all of you so yes, much. Thank you. All. So they all get to listen to side B uh, of the episode. But for the rest of you for now. We are Thank you for listening to this episode of None Dare Call It Ordinary. If you would also like to hear our weekly bonus episodes, just become a $5 a month patron over at patreon.com slash none dare call it ordinary. That is also where you'll find any blog posts, pictures, and news updates to go along with our regular series. And you don't even have to be a patron to get access to all that fun stuff. You can also reach us by email at nundarecallitordinary at gmail.com. Lastly, we ask for you to please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever your podcasts are served.